Google's options for running serverless workloads started with App Engine. App Engine is a way to deploy an application in a fully managed environment. Since the early days of App Engine, managed infrastructure has matured and become more granular. We now have serverless databases, queuing systems, machine learning tools, and functions as a service. Developers can create fully managed, event-driven, highly scalable systems with less code and fewer operations. Different cloud providers are taking different approaches to offering these serverless runtimes. Google's approach involves the open-source Knative project and a hosted platform for running Knative workloads called Cloud Run. Steren Giannini is a product manager at Google, working on serverless tools. He joins the show to discuss Google's serverless projects and the implementation details in building them. A few updates to Software Engineering Daily Land. Podsheets is our open-source set of tools for managing podcasts and podcast businesses. A new version of Software Daily, our app and ad-free subscription service, is available at softwaredaily.com. We're looking for help with Android engineering and other roles. You can find those at our Software Daily Find Collabs. We particularly like your feedback on the apps, the mobile apps, which are available in the iOS and Android app stores, and we definitely could use some help ironing out all the bugs there. The Find Collabs hackathon has ended. Find Collabs is the company I'm working on. The winners of the hackathon will probably be announced by the time this episode airs, and we'll be announcing our next hackathon in a few weeks, so please stay tuned. The updates for today are in the show notes for today's episode, and let's get on with today's show. Steren Giannini, you are a PM at Google Cloud. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, Jeff. So you work on App Engine, and App Engine, I think, was before its time in many regards. It was serverless before serverless was a word. I do wonder what would have happened if App Engine would have had the word serverless associated with it. Probably would have would have grown even faster. Tell me about the early architecture of Google App Engine, because I think this was, what, like eight years ago or six years ago, something you know like what? that? 11 years 11 ago. 11 years ago. Yeah, we celebrated 10 years not that long ago, and now it's 11. So you're right. The, the term serverless was not coined at this time. But uh, we, if we take the definition of, of serverless as fully managed, auto-scaled, pay-for-usage, that applies to App Engine, you're right. So yes, 10 years ago, uh, Google had a, a serverless uh, offering. Actually, Google Cloud did not exist at the time. So at the time, App Engine was the platform. And that, actually, to your question about the architecture, that's why within the App Engine product, uh, the original one, were baked in many, many APIs in order to help people build apps, uh, APIs to store uh, blob stores, uh, data stores, task queues. All of these were features of App Engine at the time. And, of course, the original uh, architecture was around uh, supporting very narrow set of runtimes, as we call them. I think the first one was probably Python, uh, then Java and PHP came. But how we achieved that was by actually modifying those runtimes. So we, we actually had the um, uh, Guido, the Python uh, author, actually working on App Engine to make sure that that runtime is safe 
uh, to execute customer code on it because this code is at the end running on the Google infrastructure, on the Google Borg orchestrator next to the other workloads that Google is running. So that's why at a very early uh, stage, App Engine was using custom runtimes, custom modified language runtimes, which is why we haven't released a lot of different runtimes uh, in the early days of App Engine, because that was a lot of effort to bring even just a new language to App Engine. So when you think about that evolutionary spectrum from the early days of App Engine to the richness and the variety of the different cloud APIs that are now there, Tell me about the main milestones, the main timeline milestones you think about in in the evolution of the products that you were building on Google Cloud from from those early days to the modern day where you have the spectrum. It's almost like a monolith to a microservices kind of migration. Actually, we went from, as I said, one product, which was App Engine, to a whole platform. And at the time, App Engine was the platform. So, you know, what I mentioned about a built-in data store. Well, of course, you had to store your data, except that now App Engine is, has moved towards focusing on compute. And many of the GCP products are, have actually graduated out of App Engine. Google Cloud Data Store is just the graduation of App Engine Data Store. Google Cloud Storage is actually App Engine Blob Store in its own product. One, one of my favorite one is that we recently released as a standalone product is Cloud Tasks. So it's actually the same infrastructure as App Engine Task Queues. You know, you send a task into a queue and the queue, the, the queue dispatches the task to a different service. This is now offered as a standalone service where you can not only target HTTP App Engine targets, but actually also any HTTP targets. So what we've seen over, the, over, over those 10 years is many things that were originally built into App Engine became their own GCP products. On the other side, of course, in 10 years, uh, many things have changed under the hood. Our customers have always benefited from day zero to until today for from a managed security and update of, of, the, of their applications. Of course, auto-scaling was here from the beginning, but many things have changed. I think I want to call out at least two of them. The first one is the App Engine Scheduler. So the algorithm and system that decides how many instances will your service get at a given point in time. I worked on the, the release of a brand new scheduler, uh, I think it was two years ago, where we completely changed across the whole fleet the scheduling algorithm without any latency impact or billing impact to our customers. So you can imagine you have really a lot of customers on App Engine, uh, including very big ones, and we seamlessly changed a core piece of the architecture while making save money, because at the end, I think I remember 8% reduction in cost on average for our customers just by changing the way we scheduled instances. And we also, you know, we measure, when we do those changes, we, we really measure all across the board. Like that there is no latency impact because at the end, when you use a serverless product, the infrastructure is not managed by you. So there is a, some kind of a trust relationship between you, the customer, and the platform provider who has a part of responsibility into the latency of your application, into uh, the availability of it, and into its costs. So that was one of the architecture changes that I worked on and took a very long time for the team to, to achieve, and now we are fully on this new scheduler. But another big one, I think even more important, is the sandboxing technology. So as I mentioned in your previous question, 
originally each language that App Engine was supporting, supporting was actually a modified version of that language. So for, for Python, we had to modify Python. For Go, the same. What we realized is that every new version of the language, we had to redo those changes. And sometimes when the, when the language changes a lot, you actually basically have to start from scratch and redo your sandboxing by plugging holes into the language to make sure that the code is not able to escape outside of this, of this runtime. So what we ended up doing is taking a different approach, taking a, an approach where we actually sandbox not at the runtime level, but at the, at the OS level. And so that's why Google has released Gvisor, which is the sandboxing technology that we use for App Engine, for Cloud Functions, and Cloud Run. What does that mean? What's the difference between sandboxing at the OS level versus the runtime level? So now, in every second-generation App Engine runtimes, what we use is just off-the-shelf Node.js, off-the-shelf Python, off-the-shelf Java, except that we run it into a secured container runtime sandbox. And so, and now the, the isolation is not by patching the language, but it's actually at the, by making the language believe it is in, on a regular machine. It's actually not. We, Gvisor will actually implement many, many syscalls and make sure that uh, they are uh, fully secured and fully isolating the workload from the rest of the environment. Because yes, I want to highlight that containers are not an isolation boundary. Uh, from on a given host, you can something like Gvisor will be the piece that will help you really sandbox those containers so that they cannot, you know, escape to the host machine. Now, certainly, security is one area of sandboxing, but there's also the noisy neighbor. If I co-schedule two containers onto the same OS, and both of them happen to be super hungry containers, I'm going to start to get performance degradation from from at least one of them. To what extent has the noisy neighbor problem been an engineering issue that you've tackled in the sandboxing work? I I don't think I'm... I, no, I'm the best person to answer that. I have not worked directly on this. Um, I it is, it, know, am, I, am I wrong about that? It is an engineering problem. And I know, you know, the App Engine has one way to schedule workloads. Probably other cloud providers have other ways. I do know that, yeah, we are allocating a certain amount of, of CPU time to yeah. each uh, I mean, to, to me, it seems like instances. a super edge case, and it's, like, pretty easy to solve by just shifting the workload in most cases, or you spin up another, okay, we've detected a noisy neighbor, spin up a copy of this instance and start directing traffic to that instance, then delete the noisy neighbor. Like, it's just an edge case. It's also something that at scale, you know, balances itself. You know, of course, we, we say serverless, but I can tell you, there are servers, a lot of servers. And when you have such a large fleet in a very large pool of host machines, if you, if you want, then it's, it's easier to, you know, to have diversity in those workloads and to, and to balance uh, this problem. Within this pool, I, I, I wonder if static analysis tools have gotten good enough to be able to predict the performance of a piece of code. We're probably not there yet, right? No. So what we, for example, what we are offering on App Engine is the ability for our customers to control a little bit the auto scaling algorithm by telling us, okay, you should target that CPU utilization. And for example, 60%, that means that when we will detect that your instance starts to use more CPU, then we will prepare another one so that, you know, the next request that comes in have an available instance if needed to be processed. So this is more to help the the latency of the end application. Mm. We've gotten pretty into the weeds here. Let's, Let's take a step back and just talk about 
that word serverless. So uh, I talked to you before the show that you work with, or at least are friends with Vilay Haas, who was on the show previously to talk about Knative. And Knative is is interesting and in some ways different than the other serverless perspectives that we've seen around the industry. I think Knative sees less of a distinction between the function as a service modality and the container as a service modality. Container as a service meaning, oh, this is a long-lived container. We want it to sit around for a while. It's a service. You know, we need to accept requests and we need it to be up basically indefinitely. Whereas the function as a service modality is like, yeah, you just hit this thing. It's like a Google Cloud function. It spins up kind of on demand and you know and that's fine uh, and then it spins down when it's done why is there a gradient between those two extremes i think if there is one very important takeaway that people should remember when listening to this podcast is serverless doesn't apply only to functions and let me explain why and i think Ville explained it a little bit in the previous podcast when you deploy a function to cloud to google cloud functions for example your function is a piece of source code. The first thing that we will do is build that code into something that we can execute and auto-scale. Today, the industry standard for that is the container. So the first thing that happens when you deploy to Knative, your source code, is that Knative build is used to transform this source into something that can be auto-scaled and managed by Knative serving. And there is an, another piece of Knative, which is Knative eventing, that this piece will take care of uh, you know, making sure that this Knative serving service is triggered when these other things happen in, the, in your cluster or even outside of your cluster. So eventing is about binding things together via triggers, and serving is about actually serving your workloads, your containers, and building is about coming from source, this source could be just a simple function, not, some, not even something that can execute by itself, but that is wrapped into what we call, in, in Google, we call that the function framework. So that's what's happening when you deploy to cloud functions. Let's take Node.js as an example. You give us a one file that, that exports one function. That doesn't execute by itself. Even in your local machine, you cannot run that. So what we do, first thing, we inject what we call the Google Cloud function frameworks for Node.js, which, by the way, we open source today. So now the piece that we use to wrap your function around is open source. And we, we take that. Now we have a Node.js application that actually you can start with npm start. It would start on your local machine. But that's not enough to deploy to a serverless inf- or serverless infrastructure or to Knative. You need to build that into a container. And many tools are helping you do that. Google Cloud Function does that completely seamlessly for you without you realizing it. You can do it by hand with Docker, with Google Cloud Build. I personally am a very big fan of uh, build packs, something that entered beta recently, and you have a a pack command. You run pack on your Node.js source code, and boom, you have a container. And this, this industry standard of containers allows us to all agree that this is the piece to distribute and deploy software. And then it's about the infrastructure to run this container. In that case, uh, under the hood, Google Cloud Functions, once, you, once we've built your function into a container, we are executing it on the same serverless infrastructure as what we use in this new app engine runtime. Your container ends up being sandboxed 
by GVisor and executed in an autoscaled manner on, on our infrastructure. And it's the same for Cloud Run, the new product we announced today, which instead of taking source code this time, allows you to give us any container. And so to tie back that to Knative, Knative serving is serving containers within your Kubernetes cluster. So what we've done with this latest product that I mentioned, Cloud Run, is that now we, we are exposing the same API, the same Knative serving API, as a fully managed solution, uh, running on our infrastructure that you don't have to manage. You don't have to worry about the cluster. You don't have to worry about provisioning infrastructure because we do that for you. And as a consequence of that, we can deliver a, a pricing model that is really truly pay per usage, which is the serverless pricing model. Right? What, when, you, when you use Cloud Functions, you pay for your number of requests and the execution time of this request. Well, it's the same for Cloud Run, except that this time we do the same with your container. So let's say I build an app on Google Cloud. Actually, I am doing this right now in the sense of Firebase. Like, I'm using Firebase today. It would be awesome to see Firebase eventually become uh, this level of open source. But let's, let's, let's just assume we're talking about, about Google Cloud. And, and let's say I start, I start building this app today, and I do it entirely through Knative, but you know, using the, the hosted options on, on Google. And then let's say in, in a year and a half, I decide I want to also be multi-cloud. I want to move this entire serverless infrastructure. I've deeply integrated with serverless APIs. I want to replicate it on, uh, on a different cloud provider. How easy is it for me to do that? So starting by your, the compute part of your application, what we ensured with this new product, CloudRun, and with its sibling, CloudRun on GKE, and with Knative, is that those th three products share the exact same API. So sharing an API means that any tool that works with one will work with the other. Let me dive a little bit more into CloudRun on GKE. So we have... CloudRun is, is something that we announced today, but it has two versions, kind of. There is one, the first version is really fully managed, don't worry about anything. This is the, probably the easiest one to get started. It has a user experience, a pretty simple developer experience, console, CLI. And with using that same developer experience, you can, if you want to, deploy inside your own Kubernetes cluster this time with CloudRun on GKE. And so, from a developer perspective, it's, it's literally the same, except that this time, because it's win within the cluster of your organization, then you are in charge of managing this Kubernetes cluster and, of course, paying for it. Within the cluster, your workloads are auto-scaled, and this is, we are using the Knative Serving Autoscaler for that. Uh, but from a developer perspective, the container that you deploy is strictly respecting the same runtime contract, and the user experience you have is strictly the same, including at the API level, which means that we have partners like GitLab who have integrated with this Knative Serving API. This means that those partners are not able to deploy to CloudRun 2 because of this shared API. And so to answer your question, what happens if I want to move out of, of GCP? Well, we designed all of this from the ground up to answer that specific question. The thing we've heard in the past 10 years on App Engine was 
it's great, but I feel a bit locked in, especially with those proprietary APIs that I mentioned early on in the product. So now our answer is, you know what? We are actually providing you the open source project to run the exact same thing on your own or anywhere else Kubernetes runs. To do that, just install Knative in this cluster and you will have the exact same API able to run the exact same containers than what you have on the fully managed version of Cloud Run. And really, like we, we ensure that the container contract is strictly the same. We are working on conformance tests to ensure that the, the, the APIs are strictly the same. This is something that is core to our strategy. And so last year at Cloud Next 2018, we started to pave the way towards this vision. When we announced Knative, that was the first step. Okay, first step, open source project. And then, I don't know if you noticed, but we also announced containers on serverless. And we announced the GKE serverless add-on. All of this was actually the very first step towards today, which is Cloud Run, Cloud Run on GKE, and Knative allowing that portability. So you should really see Knative as an a, a reference API that Cloud Run, Cloud Run on GKE, and all many other partners are implementing, as well as a reference implementation that Knative, the open source project itself, is providing on GitHub. And one thing I've heard, I've, I've never built an application that's scaled enough to have this problem, but I've heard that the lock-in doesn't necessarily come from open source or closed source. It comes, well, it could come from, from the closed source APIs, obviously, but it can also come from the IAM layer, the identity and access management layer. So if I build my app entirely on Google, I've got certain access policies and role management and stuff that I'm doing that is closely associated with, with, with the Google Cloud identity and access management system. And, you know, my entire DevOps workflow, my entire permission system is now deeply integrated with this with this proprietary IAM layer. I've got 200 people. If I want to migrate my, my entire serverless infrastructure, I now have to remap the IAM roles to the entire whatever, you know, whatever cloud provider I'm, I'm migrating to's IAM system. I'm never going to want to do that. So this is true, and that's why when I started my answer, my previous answer, I started by, if you want you to migrate your serverless compute, we designed it to be easy. Then, as you said, the landscape is way bigger than compute. There is all of the security and identity. There is all of your data. There is all of the potentially software as a service that your application uses that is not delivered as any open source equivalent. And so, yes, indeed, if you want to migrate your entire architecture, you have much more to worry about than only the compute. But at least the compute piece, we have built it so that it's, it's, it's easily portable. We have uh, Cloud Run Alpha testers are actually using both Cloud Run and Cloud Run on GKE. And they start with Cloud Run and they realize, oh, maybe I need access to a GPU to do some graphical computation. They do image analysis. Well, they, they just, okay, fine. I just move to Cloud Run on GKE with the same, the same tooling. And actually, these customers are also looking for to guarantee to their own customers that they will not be locked in. So what does that mean? They do IoT on uh, water systems in cities. So when the city signs a contract with them, it's birds by Veolia, by the way. When they sign a contract with them, they want to make sure that even if they change contractor, the whole infrastructure will keep running, right? After all, it's water systems that 
you know, people are relying on for living. So they want to make sure that by contract, they are able to move to a different cloud provider, to on-prem if needed. And so that, the Knative story resonates a lot with that customer because they have the guarantee that those workloads are portable. The tooling they are going to build, they are going to easily be able to target a different backends if you want if you want and yeah there will be a bit of identity transition to do if you want to move to another provider that being said you know kubernetes is becoming a platform on its own and uh, kubernetes rbacks are are something that are shared across managed kubernetes offerings so even even the identity layer is starting to kind of become standardized sure. via Kubernetes. Spiffy and Spire, I think, are kind of related to that. Or no, that's more like workload authentication, I guess. I think the whole lock-in discussion is like, I don't know why people focus on it so much because the cloud providers are competing down to a commodity level cost and maybe there's going to be some cost differences in the margins, but like kind of the whole reason we're all in the software industry is because the things we build are pretty high margin. Why do you think we're all so obsessed about this whole multi-cloud thing? I think for us, it's really, okay, you can do it on your own, you can do it elsewhere, but we believe we have the best offering. And when I say that, it's more, look, you, you can yeah, you can totally install Knative on your own Kubernetes cluster that you run on bare metal or on VMs, but also at the same time, you can take a look and we offer a fully managed version of the exact same API where you literally have to provision nothing in advance and can just deploy in one command. Maybe you will pick that because that's way easier to use as a developer so that you can focus not on building your own infrastructure, but on building values for your business. So that's Cloud Run. That's, yeah, you can do it on, on your own and we give you the tool and the code to do that. But we also give you this hosted offering where... Literally, in two clicks, you deploy a new container auto-scaled in our serverless environment. And you don't have to pay for the infrastructure either. You only pay when you use it. Have you talked to any companies that have done a really significant multi-cloud expansion? I haven't. And I'm not the best person to talk about that for... I mean, I know we released many things today around multi-cloud, around hybrid, and I would recommend you to interview somebody who has worked more on that. For us, it's really about, uh, we give one piece of this whole story, but we don't give, like me in, in the serverless team, we don't give the full story. We give Knative, which is part of this story of how you run serverless on-prem, how you run serverless uh, on your Kubernetes cluster. But the whole story, I would recommend you to interview somebody else. I think the, Absolutely. the, 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 but, the field but, is very let's interesting. Say, let's say you're running like a giant insurance company. Like, you're never going to move everything to multi-cloud. You're going to have like some disaster recovery story that's multi-cloud. You're going to like checkpoint your Kafka logs to like the other clouds, you know, bucket storage system perhaps. But I mean, why would any of these companies want to spend that much time on going multi-cloud with their compute infrastructure? I think, you know, is it, it's, is it's it just portability or like... It's also reliability too, right? When you, you know, when every system that you design, if it's uh, at least N plus one, you know, redundancy is going to help in case of one of the P's has an outage, for example. 
However, it's probably very hard to shift an entire stream of incoming requests right. entirely to one side or the other. So, I, so maybe it's an I ideal. Know. It's an ideal we're aspiring to as an industry to get to this point. Yes, what I do know is We'd that like we compliant. Google Cloud are actually giving a lot of tool to achieve it. It's not easy. We are making it easier and easier. And let's let's take a closer look at the announcements of today in that area. But uh, but it's not easy. What we've seen more, for example, uh, one uh, Cloud Run anecdote: people were running Bash scripts on their machines because yeah, a Bash script runs maybe once a day with a serverless architecture that allows you to run any language because it runs any container, you can rush, run bash, bash scripts on a serverless way. And, and that's how people started to realize, oh, I can get rid of that small machine that I have on-prem and, and move that to the cloud thanks to containers. And, and yeah, if I want to move to another cloud, I know this other cloud can also run containers. That's the industry standard. So, of course, containerizing, it's definitely a no-brainer for hybrid clouds, for moving to the cloud. That's the... Even containerizing a bash script is the answer. And yeah, you use cron as a service that we offer in Google Cloud, which is Cloud Scheduler. Then you can easily say, run this service once a day and it will run your bash scripts once a day. Whatever, like to do some say, like data backups or anything. Any, any bash script can actually run in a container. That's quite interesting. Interesting. So when you open source something like this, there's a lot of questions around how do you want to do licensing? What should your relationship be with open source kind of foundations like the CNCF? Was there any interesting decisions around how you structured the the open sourcing in relationship to foundations and relationship to other corporations? So from the beginning, we've built Knative with many partners. Very early on, as soon as we decided that we would work in the open for Knative, I mean, for this project was not named Knative at the time, but we decided to start, you know, sending some emails and contacting others to see if they would like to join us in that in that journey. And so that's where we are when we announced, that, that's where we were when we announced uh, Knative last year, where from the day of the announcement, many of our partners were already already contributors to Knative, already, uh, even some of them had already managed Knative offerings. We did not, but they had. And so from the beginning, we've, be, we've been building that with our partners. I'm in the API working group of Knative, and in that group, there are many people from outside of Google. And the discussions are really uh, respectful and listening to many opinions and many feedback from our respective user base. And we don't come all from the same area. I think Google has, as we discussed, a lot of expertise thanks to, to App Engine and later Cloud Functions and Kubernetes, of course. But some, some partners are bringing a different perspective on things. And that's how we, we, we all reach consensus and build Knative. So th- this is happening today. And all of this is happening in the open the recordings are on the internet and everything. Now to the question, do we need a foundation? I think this is more, you should not start with that. Like start by building a successful open source project. Start by building a community. Start by building partnerships with, with very strong partners. And only then you think about, okay, so now how do we, how do we make that uh, sustainable in the long term? I think it's, it's always too, too risky to... You know, think more in terms of uh, CNCF instead of actually what problem do we are we solving here? Maybe this doesn't solve any problem, and we don't even need to ask us this question. So we really wanted to solve a problem with Knative first. 
one engineering area that we have explored on all these different episodes about serverless is the the quote-unquote cold start problem, the problem of I've got some code I want to run in something that's serverless, and I need a machine to be provisioned, and I need the code to be loaded onto a container on that machine. And in the early days of the quote-unquote serverless world, the cold start problem was was brutally slow for, for many applications. It was too slow. I understand it's gotten a lot better across the industry for a variety of reasons, can you tell me, in your mind, the history of the cold start problem when it comes to serverless functions and, and what innovations have happened so far and what room there is for improvement? So we have to define what it is first. So cold start is when there is a request or an event that happens that needs to reach your service or function, but this service or function has been scaled to zero. So the first thing that needs to happen is an instance needs to be scaled up so that it can process this request. As a consequence of scaling up this instance, your function or service or code actually does things when it starts. It's not ready to process requests right away. It needs to load all of your modules or maybe do some initialization before actually being able to process that request. So we've seen cold start problems often on function-as-a-service kind of products because they have what we call a concurrency of one. Let me dig a little bit more into that. So Lambda or Cloud Functions, each, let's say, instance of your function, you know, functions are automatically scaled to many, many instances if needed, but each instance of that function is going to be able to process only one request at a time. So that means that, yes, of course, the first request will hit a cold start. But if a second one happens before the first one has finished, then this, also, this other one will also hit a cold start because Ooh, a right. second instance needs right, to be right, scheduled right. now. On Cloud Run, we have a va- uh, the concurrency number is not set to 1, but it's set to 80 by default, and you can change it as much as you want. What that means is that this very first request... Yes, might hit a cold start, and I can come back to that. But the second one, if your code is designed to handle multiple requests at the same time, which, honestly, a lot of frameworks are helping you to do that, and a lot of languages are actually built to do that, then you, this same instance is going to be able to process many requests at the same time. Wait, I'm sorry, and as okay, a consequence. So, so the, the, but the first iteration of this world... You said with the concurrency of one, like I spin up a, a serverless function, and if that thing is running, while when another uh, serverless function, when the same when, a, when another request for the same function is called, it's going to hit another cold start. It's going to have to spin up another container. Why don't those requests get co-scheduled onto the same function, the same container function? So then the thing is the the platform providers that offer functional service have by choice decided to add that restriction uh, for the simplicity maybe of the billing model or the simplicity of... And that's public or just by practice, you're saying? Like, is that, it public that they, that, they say they do that? The, the, the billing model we offer for cloud functions could only be offered with a concurrency of one because you are paying for execution time. So, of course, if we are going to send two requests on the same instance, you will be basically paying for only one request? No, that, so... Cloud Run goes a little bit deeper into the impri- its pricing model, where it's actually making you pay for the exact CPU and memory and number of requests that you use. 
So with that billing model, you can now decide, okay, now I decide to send one request at a time, and now you get the, the function of the service kind of cold start problem and also billing model. Or you can decide, you know what, I will actually optimize my code because maybe my code does an API call to another API and for until, until the API returns, my container does nothing but I pay. Well, maybe that's some CPU I should use to process a different request. And so this is actually better software practices to have code that can be multi-threaded or can, like Node.js, uh, have an event loop that is able to process multiple requests at the same time. I, I put aside a little bit one piece of the problem, which was the very first request that comes in. This one, even if you have a concurrency of 80 or 1, if there is no instance scheduled, this one will, uh, will still hit a cold start. So here, there is also a bit of responsibility on the developer side. When you deploy to a serverless environment, it's also your, your responsibility to pick the libraries and the tools and the language that will uh, not take 30 seconds to start. So, for example, minimizing the amount of modules that you load at startup time, or if you initialize some global, I don't know, some, some assets, don't, don't load them asynchronously, those kind of things, or put them in your like, container. Okay, I kind of like what you're saying. This is like an encouragement for people to, to, to slim down their services. Yeah, we've seen a lot of improvements just by, in Node, just by reducing the amount of uh, files that are read in memory or those kind of things. Yeah, that's roughly one advice for the very first call start. Then one thing that people should know is that Google, when we schedule your container instances or function instances, we don't directly scale them to, the, to zero as soon as the request is over. Because, well, maybe we don't need to get that capacity back. You know, we, we have a very, as I said, we have very large capacity where all of the cloud functions are running. So until we actually need it, we will maybe keep your instance here for some time. So that's why if you send one request and then one minute later you send another request, this other request, even if it's technically a new one, one minute after the other one or maybe 10 minutes after the other one, this new request might not hit a call start because we actually, the platform provider, or auto-scaling algorithm decided to keep your instance here until you know it was really sure that it did not need it anymore. So um, it's not every request, every new request that comes in which will hit a cold start. It's really one where, okay, your function has been scaled down because it has been inactive for a very long time. And in that case, you as a developer can maybe do a few things on the startup of your code to reduce the time that it takes. Now, I could talk to you about scheduling for the entire length of a podcast episode, and there's lots of improvements. Scheduling is this bottomless problem. And there's also the hardware level or the the VM level. There you know, there have been you know, other people who are focused on, on serverless who have recently focused on, on the VM level, you know, making some open source VM innovations that are related to having a platform, a, a hypervisor level platform, as far as I, I haven't looked at that, that project in detail, a hypervisor level platform that is optimized for running these, these functions as a service. Well, why is that? Why is there space for innovation at the, at the lower level? I guess the thing that's sitting, ben, like the, the hypervisor level, for example, why would the hypervisor level be something that we would want to modify based on, uh, okay, this is a server that's, that's dedicated to running functions as a service or or c containers as a service it's all a question of a startup time how fast can you so we have this bring, bring the up same, a container the same, instance the ready same to cold start 
issue at a lower level. At a lower level. And you know, Google with Gvisor is taking a different approach where the VM is here, but it's the isolation is performed in user space. I encourage people to read at uh, gvisor.dev. I'd love to do a show on Gvisor, by the way. Yeah, I, and I can... I can Please, put you in contact with the, with the people Absolutely. working on That'd it. Awesome. It's, it's, it's passionating. Awesome. And it's not only used by, by, by Google's serverless infrastructure. It's used at, in many different places at Google. And the interesting part is that it passes the, the security review of Google, which is why we are able to run customer code on our infrastructure um, in a secure way. Right. Actually, I think somebody else said this. You don't really use... Like VMs, you just have containers running on raw infrastructure, right? Maybe Brian Grant would have been something no, better to answer this question. I think that's who, who said it. He's like, yeah, we don't. Yeah, exactly. Actually don't use <laughs> I know VMs. you interviewed so him. Like, and, what? Uh, I mean, he probably is way more knowledgeable okay, than I'll, I am. I'll ask him about and uh, maybe the, the podcast can maybe even answer this question, the yeah. podcast you did with I Brian. I realize this, is, this might be, be, okay, yeah, totally, that's fine. What else have you learned about scheduling from this experience? I mean, to me, it's on a Kubernetes cluster with Knative, um, you have more control. And for example, if you, if you want to remove the call start, well, y you can set min instance to one and sure, you don't have any call start anymore, but right. just know that you always have an instance running your service. Yeah. So there are, and, and that's actually a, a flag that we, uh, we, we, we gave on App Engine for, for, for users who want to constantly pay for one instance, sure. you can do so. So what I realized is it's a complex problem different many different approaches from a product perspective the hard part is how much control do you give to yeah, the users sure. because i mean if i want to optimize my scheduling of my let's say app engine yeah. i have okay number of concurrent requests i have a uh, memory or you know the, the instance size by itself can make my instance able to process more or less requests there is the cpu utilization target there is the uh, Uh, throughput utilization target. There is the minimum instances, max instances. So many, many parameters. Cost, priority. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, exactly. So at the end, for our customers, it's exactly what you said. It's a, it's a balance between optimizing for cost or optimizing for performances. Because you can always schedule a large amount of instances and have amazing latency, amazing performances, but then your cost will be higher. So on App Engine, we give a, a few more knobs to tweak, like to, for, to help you choosing uh, between this or that. But actually, this depends maybe on the workload you are running. At the end of the day, if you do some background job, then maybe you don't care about the latency so much as long as the job is done. On the opposite, if you expose some front-end API, then here you probably care that it is quite snappy and able to answer a load that varies over time. As we move towards a world in which more people are running their applications on quote-unquote serverless infrastructure, does it change the requirements we need from storage systems? Oh, so for sure, you should not store state in your container. Well, right? yes, okay. All <laughs> I right. really want to state the obvious. <laughs> yes. But then, depending on the type of data you want to store, you will find many different storage options. Some of them that we qualify as serverless, right? If I take, an, as an example, Cloud Firestore, you put nothing in it, you pay nothing, you put as much as you want, it scales with you, you pay for usage. Yeah. So 
we've seen those those scalable data storage solutions that are actually very well suited for serverless workloads. Yeah. Of course, we allow you to, I mean, on App Engine and Cloud Functions, to use a SQL instance if that's what you want. But just know that, well, if your function is sc- is scaled up very fast, then maybe you will exhaust your number of connections to your database. So these are problems that if you use a serverless data storage solution, you don't have anymore. But this is maybe structured data, but you know, unstructured data. You, you, you know, we all know about Google Cloud Storage uh, or Blob Storage solutions. And then, if you want to do some, depend as always, depending on the use case, if you want to do some analytics, maybe not uh, a little bit less real time. Then use some data analytics solutions. BigQuery is amazing. I use it very often as a product manager to process data, and this is a different use case and something that does it very well. And also scales on demand and on usage. So I love BigQuery, I love Firebase. I don't really personally. I don't care that much if something is is open source or not. Like I'm more of a product kind of person. For me, it's all a means to an end. That said, you know everything you know about the multi cloud and the open source. Like I get why some people need it, and there definitely are people that do need it. And I'm happy that this migration towards like open source and cloud, like there, or there's kind of a, a merger between those two, or both both the areas of open source and cloud are expanding. But perhaps there's more and more overlap between them in the Venn diagram. What's cool about working at Google, from what I understand, is that to some extent you're going to see the future of what's going to be available in cloud providers. Because if you work at Google, you have all this infrastructure that's really taken care of for you. Like if you want to deploy a service, if you want to embed a machine learning model, okay, the machine learning model is already trained for you. Uh, It's just like an import statement. You're like, really? Recommendations are that easy? It's just like I import and then it's like, you know, two lines of code and I've got a recommendation system out of the box. Like I know that's what it's like to be at Google, we don't have that in the cloud yet. I mean, maybe we do to some extent. It's probably more than more lines of code if I want to have my own recommendation system using cloud tools today than than you know what you have within Google. And you know what I'm excited about in in these cloud conferences, I'm just like looking. I'm like, I want like the new tools. I want the highest level, craziest API that I can get leverage from. What's in the future? What are we going to see in five years? Like from your time looking around at Google, like what am I going to be able to do as a developer with public cloud tools that I cannot do today? So I think today, for example, we already introduced something quite new. When I joined the serverless team and I realized, wait, we have the infrastructure to run arbitrary containers on our serverless infrastructure, like in a serverless way, literally scaling up and down on demand. We should give that to developers. There's not necessarily the requirement to ask them to write in a given language because if we are able to execute containers, let's just give them containers. So already what you've seen today has, has moved one step forward. Literally, we went from a set of five languages, seven languages, to any language you want, any software you want, put in a container, which, by the way, is an industry standard and, and now is run on the same infrastructure as what your cloud functions were running on. So I think I'm very excited about, about this product because we, we have introduced something new here, more than just functions. It's containers on the serverless infrastructure. For developers, I think, as you said, bringing more of the Google goodness to the external world is, internally, it's a clear direction. You know, we... Like you've seen it with TensorFlow, for example. 
Google from the beginning decided of instead of building a proprietary internal machine learning framework, decided from the beginning to open source it. This is very different from before. If you look at um, Hadoop and, and, and MapReduce, like before Google was publishing the paper yep. and leaving the world take care of the rest. Here, Google is now giving the implementation of things. I mean, you mentioned, can I just add an import statement and have a prediction model imported? Well, that's what we see today on NPM and TensorFlow.js. So right now, I did it myself. I, by importing one node so module... So it is that easy. Yeah, with one node module, I imported, what was that? A, like face detection algorithm yeah. built with TensorFlow that was running in my browser. So we are reaching that level of, yeah, sure, I want to run a TensorFlow model. I just import it as a package because why not? <laughs> and, you know, this is something that, in the past, we would not have believed possible. Wow. But today, thanks to open source, actually, thanks to something that become standards, we are able to share those pieces together. You know, on the Docker ecosystem, people are sharing base images. On the package ecosystem, people are sharing modules. And, and this is, to me, it's not only about open source, it's, it's about agreeing on a way to do things. Totally, If yeah. we agree oh, on yeah. doing containers, then, totally. okay, let's, let's all support containers. Let's all do it. It's all, it's all We've better. We've got better things to worry about. Exactly. Sir, and thanks for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Wow.